Since 12 is pretty short. I usually don't like to try to do more than one chapter a Sunday, but 12 is sort of brief. I mean, it is brief. (laughs) Well, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us as we read your word today, that uh, it might benefit us, it might encourage us, Lord, and uh, strengthen us uh, in our walk with you, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So this is Isaiah 12, beginning at verse 1, and Isaiah says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, <clears throat> for though you were angry with me, <clears throat> your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Uh, So, uh, you will say in that day, and that day, it seems to me, is following on the previous chapter 11, particularly verse 16, which says there will be a highway from Assyria and the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. So, this is kingdom of God in time kind of prophecy here Uh, it seems to me not only the Jews but you've got all these Gentile nations coming in on this highway into the kingdom of God and then that follows with chapter 12 verse 1 which says you will say in that day uh, when when we're all coming in I will give thanks to you O Lord for though you were angry with me your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Uh, can, I, can I ask a question? Please. I don't remember what we talked about last week, <laughs> but considering that the highway out of Egypt was going through water, <laughs> could, could, could we, is it too much of a stress to bring baptism into this, uh, this highway mentioned in verse 16? I think it would be a stretch, but I mean, you know, if you're preaching, you can... Use all kind of things to, to make your point. Uh, of course, you got these big rivers up there too, the Tigris and Euphrates up in Assyria. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let's think about the Lord's anger being turned away from us. This would be in Psalm chapter two, verse twelve. If somebody would read that, I love this verse. Just Go ahead. Go ahead. You got it. 2-12. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry, and you not perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Nick, do you have another reading than that? Mine says, kiss the Son. Let's go with that. Lest he be angry with you. Yes. Yeah. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry with you, and you perish from the way. So the Old Testament... Contrary to most of our popular belief, uh, does teach not obliquely but directly about this mysterious son 
this son of God. Or in Proverbs, what, who is his son and what is his name? You're so smart, tell us. So the son of God is there. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. I, I really love that, uh, that verse. So, uh, so as we kiss the son, then his anger becomes turned away from us. Make up with him. Yeah. Verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So in verse 2, we have God is my salvation, and God has become my salvation. So I would say we have both a, a current and a continuing relationship, or we have a stable relationship with God and a continuing relationship with God. In other words, God is my salvation, and he continues to be my salvation. So that's kind of a walking with God passage there. Verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that, proclaim that his name is exalted. Uh, if somebody would look at John chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, and read that. And I'm going to read another passage from Psalm. John 4. John 4, 1 through 14. Go ahead, Kate. 1 through 14. Yeah. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the, by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Yeah. So that well of living water is really a motif that's used a lot in the scripture. And there's Jesus with the woman at the well. Here in Isaiah, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So it's, a, it's also very much of an Old Testament theme. 
Also, as I've read many times in Song of Solomon chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, it says, A garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard with saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all the chief spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. This is just a consistent scriptural motif that this living water comes from this well of salvation. It's Old Testament and the New. Okay, yes. Well, the word, the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeshua. 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 You will yeah. draw water from the wells of Yeshua. Yeshua. There you go. Very good. Very good. All right. Um, okay. That was verse 3. We're on, uh, we're on uh, Isaiah 12. Greg. Uh, so, verse uh, 3 then. In that day is what we're talking about, the day of salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. And remember that we've said that, you know, Isaiah is just going back and forth. I mean, you know, he's predicting disaster, exile, death. And then joy, and you'll come back, and the water of salvation, and rejoice. And it's just up and down like this in a lot of these places in Isaiah. And maybe that encourages us too, you know. Uh, No matter how dark you think the day might be, and I'm talking to myself primarily here, rather than anybody else. But, uh, you know, there's not only a great future hope, there's a great current hope that we can have joy in this life also before we go to glory. So let's go for the joy. David. I wonder if Isaiah getting such, would get such negative feedback that he would go to pray and say, God, please at least just give me one good word here. <laughs> well, no, no doubt. Uh, Alright. So where are we then? Let's go to 4. Yes. Verse Wait a minute. Verse 4. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. That is a direct quote from Psalm 105, 1. So also we see that our prophet here is a man who had internalized the scriptures. Uh, So we're people that live with the scriptures. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, some of you have memorized more scripture than I have, but I mean, we know various, we know more or less this and that, and well, this is in this book, and this is in that book. I mean, we're familiar with it. So was Isaiah in terms of, uh, of what he had. So he had the Psalms. He probably had memorized them. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so there, there, there we have his quote from the Psalms. Well, the first part of the song is also a quote. First part of? The song. This, this song that Isaiah sings, uh, the first part's also a quote. Uh, yeah, where now? Uh, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Yeah. That's, oh. the, that's the song of Moses. Oh, you're right. The right. That, there you go. Okay. So you have the law and the Psalms. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Very good. 
Particularly in the Bible, the names reveal the character. Say they say something about the person. So the name of the Lord. Right. I mean the names that we have. I guess. I mean Yahweh, Elohim, uh, the Son shows up in the Old Testament. They reveal something about the character of who God is. There's there's also the idea of knowing somebody's name is like ownership. Well, yeah. And, and you uh, you sort of see this with Jacob. You know, he goes on this life, on and on and on and on, and but at some point he he tells God, "I will you will be my God, like you are my father's God." You know, it's it's like he's finally takes some ownership. He's coming into the faith. Of his God. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, and he asked, isn't it? Isn't it Jacob? He's read. He asked. The wrestling guy, his name, and that's part of that story. Also, and and that name has prophetic meaning that only you can understand. I mean, you'll know it and say, "Oh yeah, I see that." Well, Jesus is talking about being a good shepherd. He says, "He says my sheep will not follow a stranger because they know me. They know my voice." Yeah. Yeah. And he says, and I call them by name. You know, so yes. So he knows yes. every sheep's name. Right. You know, so, so that's that's a real key to understanding communication with God is he knows my name and, and I, I know his name. <laughs> and so we, that's how we can come together. Yeah, call yeah. on his name. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then yeah. he will speak to you in your name. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. And so that's how, that's how you can hear the voice of God. So is that insight to understanding? Because we're always trying to learn how is that God speaking to me? Yeah. If you hear Him say your name and you know His name, you'll back. So is is the Baptist fond of saying we're talking about a personal relationship with Christ here? It's very intimate. The psalmist asks, "Who is this King of Glory?" So it's good to know His name. Very good. Well. This is all good. Uh, Okay, verse 5. Wait, verse... Yes, uh, 5 and 6. Sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So, uh, well, this would be part of who Yahweh is, the name of God. He is the Holy One of Israel. So we could think about that in terms of God's holiness that uh, we can only approach through Christ and so on. Okay. Another good thing about that right there, too, is, is I'm doing this now, looking into it, but it's, it's, re- it's reminding yourself of the deeds that God has done in your life. Also, you know, and it, 
counting your blessings. Uh, and it's important to go it to is. give that back, to give that back and communicate to God in Thanksgiving. Thank you for doing this yeah. for me and that, and look yeah. what you've done in my life. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we just keep got to keep got to keep because it's, it's not it's not for God; He doesn't forget. <laughs> but, but it helps us remember yes. our relationship with Him yeah. and what He has done in yeah. the past. And if He's done it back then, He's faithful to keep doing it now. Katie and I were talking about exactly that when we were on our way to church here. About you know, you can look back at the journey that God's had you on. And you can see various events, you know, that you went through. Major events. Yeah, and you can see how those events were important in shaping you. Say, well, you know, God wanted me to do this, so he did this in my life, and I had to go here, and then I had to go here, and these things happened, and so forth. I mean, you can begin to see your journey and how God's doing things with you personally. But it's mysterious, but it's not really a mystery in some ways. That makes sense. Yes. Well, it's mysterious stuff, but at the same time, it makes perfect sense. Well, you know, you know where you've been, <laughs> even if I don't. <laughs> All right, let's go to chapter thirteen now. Chapters thirteen through twenty-three. I'm sorry to say, that's ten chapters. Form a unit. Uh, the Hebrew word in several of these chapters is masa, or it means oracle or burden. So this word tends to appear in these chapters on oracle. Uh, a burden sometimes they use, uh, you know, it's a burden that the prophet has that he needs to get rid of. So, he, so he's going to drop it? it on you. Yeah, how, do you that word again? how do you spell it, masa? M-A-S-S-A is what I have here in English. Uh, this burden? burden, yeah, or, or oracle. Oh. This section is basically a judgment against the Mesopotamian powers, and it's a call to Judah to trust in God. Now, earlier, Ahaz has made an alliance with Syria, and Ahaz lives to see the destruction of Israel. So, if you want to think in terms of the destruction of the people of God, if we can say that. It's Assyria that comes down and wastes Israel. So Israel is scattered out over the Mesopotamian world and all Europe everywhere and all of that. A few of them come back, yes, but it's not really a return like from Babylon. Babylon wastes the southern kingdom, Judah, okay? So Israel wasted by Assyria. Judah wasted by Babylon. All right, it's two different events. Um, and, about, about 100 years apart. Okay, yes. All right. So that's where we are. So this section is basically a judgment against these Mesopotamian powers, and it's a call now to Judah to trust in God because Babylon is coming down. I mean, this is a lead pipe cinch, you know. Uh, Ahaz made an alliance with Assyria and he lived to see the destruction of Israel so that's what came of his alliance Hezekiah on the other hand trusts God and Assyria is destroyed so that's good Jerusalem then in Judah is inviolate only if she places her trust in the living God that is Yahweh so it's not enough in Jerusalem 
for them to claim that they're Jews or that we're the people of God. We're the people of God. Well, this is what Isaiah and Jeremiah are doing. I mean, the hammer's coming down. I mean, whether you're the people of God or not. I mean, so you better repent. But they don't. And, you know, we go. the story goes on and on. Chapters 13 and 14 are perhaps an attack on human glory uh, as such rather than upon Babylon exactly. After all, Babylon represents the world system as such. So all of these judgments in this section are, are in a sense judgments against human pride and glory also. So Babylon represents the highest achievements of human art and science. So it was a real kingdom. But then symbolically, even in Revelation, it symbolically it represents the kingdoms of this world. Right. Have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Yes. Okay. So, verse 1. The oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. So Isaiah then sees Babylon rising to power after Assyria. Remember, Assyria first and then Babylon. Uh, this oracle is against Babylon, which will take Judah into captivity. And then Babylon will eventually be defeated by the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus was a king of Persia. So, I mean, you know, his, the history Darius part. Of Persia also say again. Was Darius also? I don't remember. Oh, was he a Mede? I don't I don't know. He was in Daniel, right? I can't remember. I'll look it up. Okay. All right. Maybe he was. There may be two people named Darius in Scripture. I'm not sure about that. Not sure. These kingdoms tend to overlap into each other. Yes. I mean, Assyria becomes Babylon, and then Babylon becomes. I mean, yes. I I, I wouldn't say exactly becomes, but yes. I mean, they're absorbed by Babylon. Conquered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Conquered, by that Conquered by Babylon. Because even in this prophecy, he still has another prophecy against Assyria. Okay. Uh, there you go. Isaiah does. I, mean, still, I guess they're still around, but they're just weaker now. Yeah, I mean, they were, Nineveh was still around, but a lot of their cities had been taken away and all of that. Yeah. yeah. Barely hanging on. Like Barely hanging like on. Yeah. Daniel was, <laughs> and Daniel, it says that. Darius was the son of, he's a Mede, and he was the son of Xerxes. Okay. But another place it says, it just says King Darius and Ezra. Medes. Did you okay. say the Medes were the third? Uh, the Medes are, I'm not it was, kind of, it was confederation of yeah. Medes. The, the Medes were a group of people that was north of Babylon. And they eventually come down and sort of take over that Babylonian kingdom. So sometimes it's called the Medes and the Persians. Well, the Medes, the Medes are up there in Iran is where they are, which is Persia. And then they come down and sort of rule over Babylon and kind of take that over. Wow, okay. In some ways, it's not, these are not conquests so much as just a shift to a different people group. Like the Assyrian Empire and, and the Neo-Babylonian Empire were covered basically the same territory. 
Mm-hmm. But it was just that the people in Babylon, ruled in Ezer, they ruled, overpowered their overlords in Assyria. Yeah. Who was Esther's husband? Was that Xerxes? Uh, that, was, that was either Xerxes or Artaxerxes. There's, there's something to right, sorry. <laughs> I tell you, this history is hard to keep up with. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <clears throat> you can see if you were a, a, a professor of Old Testament at a university somewhere, I mean, man, you, you'd really have to know this, these kings and stuff. It has you know? to be a two-semester class. Well, at least, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, where are we? 13-2. On a bare hill, raise a signal, cry aloud to them, wave the hand for them to enter the gates of the nobles. I myself have commanded my consecrated ones and have summoned my mighty men to execute my anger, my proudly exalting ones. The sound of the tumult is on the mountains of a great multitude. The sound of an uproar of kingdoms of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. They come from a distant land from the end of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. So, uh, he, actually he's talking about Babylon here, and as you, several of you have mentioned, it's sort of like one of these great powers sort of fades away, and another people group comes in and sort of takes over rulership. This is, this is actually against Babylon here, uh, that, that there's going to be a power coming down and sort of taking over Babylon. So it goes on and on and on. Uh, verse, <clears throat> well, yes. However, <clears throat> whatever happens to Babylon, Babylon ha- also has great symbolic importance for us. It represents the kingdoms of this world. As in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. I love this. Uh, Babylon, of course, was very proud of the tower that they had built going up to heaven. Um, Chapter 11, verse 1 in Genesis says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as the people migrated from the east, they they found a plain in the land of Shinar. All right? That's over in, that's over in Babylon. That's where that is. Uh, Shinar actually means the land of the second birth. So it was kind of a false being born again. And they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. In other words, they're building... But there's a little bit of fakery about it. I mean, they're not using really dressed rocks. They're using baked bricks. It's mm-hmm. not quite as good. Not, not quite the real stuff. Well, in a work of man. And it's also. Then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with the top to heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, and so forth. And we know the rest of the story. So, 
uh, Babylon here is the first kind of great world power after the flood. And uh, it's actually founded by Nimrod, if you can go back and read through it in Genesis there and see. And he really led this world into uh, occultism, worship of the stars, astrology, and so forth. Middle Eastern tradition has it that Nimrod married a woman named Semiramis. It's not in the Bible. You can go to Beirut today and you can stay in the Hotel Semiramis. So they, they remember her. <laughs> and it's, it's all bad, you know, and they're trying to make a name for themselves and a nation and so forth. Uh, so they're working real hard to make a name for themselves. But God simply gives it to Abraham by gift. That's one of the promises he makes to Abraham. I'll make you a name. So, so Abraham inherits the easy way by grace through faith. And the Babylonians are trying to build it up, you know, through human effort, by works. There you go. So Babylon then becomes this, I think, just not only were they a real power, but they become a symbol also. And Revelation makes it clear. David. Oh, okay. I mean, they're everywhere you turn. <laughs> yeah. Now that they've got satellites, they're finding them everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's almost like it's almost like this is sort of a symbol of one that was happening here. Yeah. And it's the, the trying to make your way to God. Mm-hmm. They're all trying to get closer to God by works. Yeah. By building these big towers. There you, so you go. You walk up to the top of one. Yeah. There you go. It's a mountain. And so they're all just demonic ways of trying to reach God. Well, there you go. Okay, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 13, uh, verse 10. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. Uh, Again, Isaiah is talking about Babylon, Babylon, and this is apocalyptic language here when the stars of heavens are moved out of their course and the powers of heavens are shaken and so forth. Um, it's also a judgment, I think, as David has just mentioned, it's a judgment against occult worship. It's a ju- God's judgment against occult worship. Now, if somebody would look at Acts chapter 7, verses 37 through 43, and read that for us, this is Stephen's speech, but he's making an accusation against Israel here. Uh, this is Acts 7, 37 through 43. I'm going to have to run to the restroom while you read that, and I'll be right back. You take over. <laughs> <laughs> Make the point. Okay, Craig. <laughs> this, is, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. 
then God returned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, that you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel. You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Rimphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Well, so that's obviously about falling into idol worship. Um, that quote uh, is from Amos. Yeah, Amos 5, 25 through 27. Which quote? Uh, starting with, did you offer me slaughtered animals? What verse is it? Uh, 42. 42. And in 43, the, the, uh, the promise to carry you away into Babylon is from Jeremiah. I'll tell you, Stephen knew his Bible, didn't he? He did. <laughs> I have a feeling that this might have been one of those moments for the Holy Spirit. What do you want to say? Uh, so, I mean, the area, uh, the, the main point of, of this whole sermon is is to point out Israel's unfaithfulness right. over the course right. of its history. Uh, and here, here at the very end, uh, they were unfaithful in recognizing the prophet like Moses as well. Ideally, uh, also with discerning the voice of God, God does not listen idol worshipers. Mm -hmm. So if that's if whatever we have in our life that becomes an idol to us, it it keeps us from being able to communicate with our Father mm -hmm. yeah. until we get rid of it, until we until we lay that at his feet, until we, until we give it over to him. So it's almost like a check constantly on us mm -hmm. to say, what am I putting in front of God? What am I using that separates me from my communication with my father? And it can be anything. It can be yeah. an idol. And I think God, over and over and over and over again, He talks, you hear the voice of God breaking down these idols, you know, destroying these idols. Getting, you know, you know. So here, I think, I think it's not a matter of we can't hear Him, but we won't hear Him. We have set up a well, it breaks the line of communication, yeah, yeah. whether it's from our end or God's. God is always speaking, yeah. He never stops speaking, really. and so but we can't hear it because we got some voices. So it seems to me this passage that you just read in Acts that um, God is actually speaking to Israel in this package, passage, and He's saying. All of this sacrifice that you were doing in the wilderness, was it really to me? Or really wasn't it to those star gods that you were worshiping back in Egypt? Isn't that really what was in your heart? So, well, we've got our own problems too, but Israel had its own problems too. And it seems that God's dealing with it there. So, verse 11. Yes. Before, can, can I ask a quick question for you, Yes. Um, so... I mean, it, I think what you said is really important. That Babylon was obsessed with the stars. <laughs> yeah, but that's they, right. I mean, that's and right. I don't think we really uh, appreciate the like how much contribution they made to this sort of stuff. I mean, the oh. fact that our the fact that our number system for time is is phase sixty. That's dude. That's because of Babylon. That's yeah. how their number system works. Yeah. So like we owe a lot of our 
art and science. To 360 Babylon. degrees and exactly, all that. Exactly, right, right. That, that, that came from the Babylonians. Yeah. Um, when, when it talks about the host of God coming to take out Babylon, is that another, do you think that's another nation that's just absorbing Babylon? Where, where, think, where does it say that? Uh, we just read it in, in verse, Acts. No, in verse 4. The Lord is mustering a host for battle. Yeah. Uh, and well, in terms of uh, is that is that a heavenly host or is that or is that another, well, just another nation? Well, uh, yes. Okay, let's just go both ways with it. I mean, I think primarily he's talking about the Medes and the Persians are basically going to come down eventually and take over in Babylon. I mean, historically, yes. <laughs> but with Babylon as a symbol yes. of the occultic powers. Yeah, God is going to fight against these occultic powers, for I sure. Mean, it kind of reminds me of the Enoch prophecy in Jude. Which was? The Lord is coming with 10,000 of his okay. to execute just, you know, justice. Well, there you go. That, <laughs> yeah, there you go. And it comes up in chapter 14. Yeah. And God is the oracle of the Lord. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah it's but I, it seems to me Babylon's both. I mean, it's a real historical right. power, but it's also yes, symbolic. Yeah, symbolic. Both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's where the double prophecy always comes into play. There you go. Because it's a, yeah. You can always parallel yeah. where you are now compared to where they were then. Yeah. It, it doesn't change. I mean, we're still working with idols. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go to verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil. Here we go. And the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. All right, now this is a judgment against human pride. Uh, Verse 12, and we'll just read some here. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Uh, I I don't understand that one. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. And like a honeyed gazelle or like sheep with none to gather them, each will turn to his own people and each will flee to his own land. Whoever is found will be thrust through and whoever is caught will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed in pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. He's talking about Babylon here. Here we go, verse 17. I'm stirring up the Medes against them. This is the Medes and the Persians now. Who have no regard for silver and do not delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. This sounds so much like Revelation mm-hmm. and the prophecy against Babylon. But in the book of Revelation, it's a spiritual power. It's the spiritual power behind the world system. Uh, the pride of man. And hey, people are doing a lot of wonderful things. I mean, with technology, a lot of amazing stuff. Evidently, one day it's all going to be brought down. <laughs> it's going to be brought down. In the big picture, we, we should this, this should really give us hope for the future because you know, to say it, you know, God, God's in control. There you go. You know, and if we could learn to just trust Him in that, we don't have to worry about 
the government. We don't have to worry about people coming. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it, it, may, worry. it will be bad. It may be bad, but but we know ultimately God's in control, yeah. and so if He he, he's he's going to somehow see me through all of this stuff. Now it may be in the next life, but so what? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> to die is gain. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I agree. We can have a certain peace. Yeah, there's a you know uh, we, we don't have to we don't have to get all hung up and oh man what's happening right now? What's the next what's the next bank that's going to fall under? You know yeah. we, don't, we don't have to get up. We don't have to fear those things. Right. Because we fear God. And, Amen. And, I agree. All right, verse 20. Uh, well, verse 19 again. In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited. Now we're talking about literal Babylon here. Or lived in for all generations. And no Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there and their houses will be full of howling creatures their ostriches will dwell and wild goats will dance hyenas will cry in its towers and jackals in the pleasant palaces its time is close at hand and its days will not be prolonged so I thought you might like to see a picture of modern uh, downtown Babylon Babylon is located about 53 miles south of Baghdad in Iraq so it's not Baghdad it's another place so this is that other place Saddam Hussein built a palace on the outskirts of this ruin here but even the palace that Saddam Hussein built is uninhabited today. So it's just uninhabited. You know, I used to worry about that when Hussein was, and he built some stuff over there, like the, the gate of Babylon, some fancy kind of historical stuff. And I thought, oh no. What if people begin to live in Babylon again? <laughs> what about the prophecy that it'll never be inhabited? Well, I didn't have to worry. <laughs> it's not inhabited. <laughs> so, uh, no Holiday Inn in downtown Babylon. It's <laughs> pretty bad. Well, that's all I have for today, friends. We've got to stop a little early. Turns out bricks.